COVID-19 Welcome, welcome, welcome to Dean O Files. This is episode number 92. We, uh, man, people are having problem with, problems with the live stream. I think it's time for me to rebuild the live page, uh, just from top to bottom. Get a new player in bed, get new shit for it. And just rebuild the page. People were having problem with the ch problems with the chat, problems with the with the live stream. I'll I'll I, I need to dig in there and rebuild it. Anyway, we're coming to you live. If you can <laughs> if you can get the thing to work. <laughs> um coming to you live on the eleventh of March. Broadcasting from Mega City 3. Mega City 3, they just shut down the Mega City 3 Rodeo, which is kind of a big deal because of uh, COVID-19, which is a better name than SARS-CoV-2. They changed it to SARS-CoV-2 and I hate it. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to show my displeasure by continuing to call it COVID-19 because SARS-CoV-2 is a shitty name. We got some news. Some of it's going to be older news because I couldn't do an episode last week because I had uh, a lot of stuff and it was the worst possible week for it to happen. The entire Democrat field like dropped off a cliff. It was a man. What a shitty week to not be able to do a show. But I shouldn't really have that problem too much anymore because my the law school that I'm attending just decided to start doing uh, this week. They just decided to start doing classes uh, uh, remotely. So this this thing is um boy, it's got people scared, and some people probably should be people who are susceptible to it. I'm sorry, I'm I'm not gonna chew ice during the whole show. That was just a piece fell in my mouth. Um, people, some people probably should be, but I want to be like. I want to say this about the about the COVID-19 stuff before we actually get to I do want to talk about it for just a moment today before we actually get to that. I want to say here at the top of the show, um, that whole thing is the concern with regard to it 
should be about not spreading it to other people, not necessarily getting it. If you're a relatively healthy person, um, kids don't seem to be symptomatic very often. If you're a relatively healthy person, if you get it, you're probably fine. Um, older people, immunocompromised people, people who already have respiratory illnesses like asthma, those people should be concerned and you should be concerned about not giving it to them. But getting it yourself, if you're, a, again, a healthy person, should not be a concern for you. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> um, in all likelihood, there are some people who it just reacts really badly to. And, and those people, you know, obviously need attention. But most people, no. So be concerned. It pisses me off that the media panic surrounding it has been focused on being concerned about getting it. Being scared of getting it. Don't be scared of getting it. Be scared of spreading it. Be scared of, scared of, unless you're some, again, in those, in those uh, categories, be, be scared of giving it to someone who is in those categories. That's what you should be concerned about. You should be more concerned about your neighbor than yourself um, if you are an average person of relatively healthy, uh, 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 in a relatively healthy condition. Um, I also want to, before we get into anything, I, I want to play, I think my favorite thing to happen this week is... Joe Biden went to go speak to a bunch of people at the Auto Workers Union at a plant. I can't remember what plant he was actually at. But this is just an absolute mishmash of horrible shit um, on a lot of different levels. So we're going to listen to... Uh, Dose says, yay, my whole direct family besides my father has asthma. I'm a die, I told y'all. <laughs> yeah, like, Dose, maybe you be more careful about getting it quarantine yourself a little bit more, be a little bit more distant from other people. I mean, everybody should be doing that, but like those maybe be worried about getting it. Other people who don't have those issues should not be concerned about getting it. They should be concerned about spreading it, thinking more about your neighbors and yourself and not buying up with a goddamn toilet paper. Um, this video is, is going to be, Oh God, it's just so much. I'm just going to play the whole thing from top to bottom. And then if I feel like playing it again and, and tearing it apart, I will, or I might just do it afterward. We'll see. All these union workers that have been working countless hours under the Trump administration, I'd like you to explain how you plan to not only keep us working, but how you intend on getting the union vote when there's a large portion of the union workers that are gun enthusiasts. There he said gun enthusiasts. It's a little hard to hear. A large portion of the union workers that are gun enthusiasts. And you are actively trying to diminish our Second Amendment right and take away our guns. You're full of shit. All right, thank now, you. Now, shush. Gosh, I support the Second Amendment. Second Amendment, just like right now, if you yell fire, that's not free speech. And from the very beginning, I have a shotgun, I have a 20 gauge, a 12 gauge, my son's hunt. Guess what? You're not allowed to own any weapon. I'm not taking your gun away at all. You need 100 rounds. So when you were in Beto, no, when you said you're going to take our guns, that I did blood. not say that. That's yes. not true. I did it's not a say that. Video. It's a viral video like the other ones are putting out that are simply a lie. Your voice, you said that you're taking the gun. Oh, well, he just clarified it. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, take thing. the AR, your AR-14s or whatever. Okay, okay, this is not okay. Hold on, hold on. All right. Hey, let's you want to talk to me about the 
I said, are you able to own one? I'm machine guns are illegal. That's right. So AR-15s are legal. How is that in the machine guns? No, it's not. Semi-automatic. Yeah, do you need 100 rounds? Do you need 100 rounds? in America from handguns and there are what you call assault rifles. Why are you advocating for assault rifles when people are dying by handguns? Joe Biden's losing his goddamn mind. There was a hashtag that hit the other day. I'm not sure exactly where it started, but it seemed like the floodgates kind of broke and the internet was okay with talking about this. Um, it was it was Biden's uh, cognitive... Biden's cognitive something. I can't remember exactly what the hashtag was. Biden's cognitive uh, decline. That's what it was. Hashtag Biden's cognitive decline. This is... Um, there's a lot to unpack in that video. I think it I think I might have to go through it again. But um the this man is not well. We all kind of see that, don't we? Let's let's go through this thing and and sort of point things out. Um all these union workers I'll turn it down a bit. Uh He's being asked by a man from the auto workers union this question. There, okay, so he tells the guy who's asking him the questions that he's full of shit. And then his aide, an aide that's there with Biden, tries to cut it off. And Biden turns to her and goes, no, 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 shush. And he shushes his aide, who's trying to help him, trying so hard to help him. Um, and we continue. Shush. I support the Second Amendment. Second Amendment, just like right now, if you yell fire, that's not free speech. That's wrong. Uh, go to bad legal takes and look at how many people say this, and it's wrong. That, that phrase was something Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. said in Shank v. U.S., and it is... Uh, it was immediately like it, it didn't take long at all before the Supreme Court said that that wasn't that's not right. There's, there's no it's not we it's no there's no fire in a crowded theater test um, at all for 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 speech. Speech is not limited by yelling fire in a crowded theater. That's not a legal standard that exists. Um, and I just love the fact that Biden said it. From the very beginning, I have a shotgun, I have a 20 gauge, a 12 gauge, my son's hunt. Yes. You have one son, Biden. Guess what? You're not allowed to own any weapon. I'm not taking your gun. What? You're not allowed to own any weapon. I'm not taking your gun. What? Away at all. You need 100 rounds. So when you were in Beto, no. when you said you're going to take our guns, that I did what? not say that. 100 That's rounds, what a canard. It's a viral video. It's a viral video like the other ones are putting out that are simply a lie. No, it's a it's a video where he has Beto up on stage and he tells Beto, you're going to help me get rid of the guns. You're going to help me with the gun problem. Beto was the one who said, hell yes, we're taking your AR-15. Like that was the that's what was said. Your voice, you said that you're taking the gun. Well, no, he just Beto. clarified it. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Take the AR, your AR-14s. AR-14? Okay, this is not OK. Hold on, hold on. All right. Hey, let's when he says this is not okay, the, the union guy says this is not okay, what's happening is Biden has his finger in this guy's face, and he's like staring down his nose at him, he has his finger in his face, 
He's pointing at him and waggling his hand around. It, it's freaking nearly in this man's nose. And he puts his hand out in front of Biden's finger and says, this is not OK. This is not OK. And he tells Biden, hey, man, like Biden brushes him up, him off and he tells Biden, hey, man, you're working for me. And Biden says, I'm not working for you. You're a horse's ass. Uh, effectively. So, um, that's, that's actually, hold on a minute. Hey, there's a lot of hey, hey, hey. Look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Are you, are you able to own a machine gun? I said, are you able to own one? Machine guns are illegal. That's right. So rare 15s are legal. How is that in the machine gun? No, it's not. Yeah, do you need a hundred rounds? Do you need a hundred rounds? He's, he's like, he got, he has his hands out. Like he's holding a gun and he's shaking them. Do you need a hundred rounds? His eyes are big. He looks, he looks, he looks senile. He looks like he's suffering from senility. In America, with handguns, there are what you call assault rifles. Why are you advocating for assault rifles when people are dying by handguns? And then the aides shuffle Biden off. Um, boy, that is just, that is, first of all, it's one of my favorite videos of the year so far and there's been a lot of really good ones especially from biden but that's like at this point at this point i think i've said it before at this point this is elder abuse they've been saying that on no agenda on like in various places this is elder abuse what they're doing to him is is that dude needs to be sitting at home and not in the public eye in fact his staff came out I don't I, I don't have this story pulled up. I, I might link to it in the in the show notes. But the, his staff came out and they're like, can we not do public appearances, please? Because this dude is fucking lost. Like he's hard to handle. Um, He's he's not. I don't think he's sane. I don't I don't think he's maintaining a level of sanity. Um, And it's a little sad to see. It's actually a little bit sad to see Um, because I, I just. Hmm. Part of me sees it and I'm like, you asshat. And then part of me thinks, poor guy, you know, it's, it's just, it's terrible. Um, elder abuse. That's what it is. So, uh, let's move on to some news. We have a, uh, a story on, on the fire.org, the foundation for individual rights and education. And, um, we've been following this, this story about this Emory professor, uh, who used the N word, I believe in quotes. And, uh, he, uh, he won. Um, after a year-long investigation, he was reinstated. Let's 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 just go to the story by Alex Mori, published on the 11th of March. Tenured law professor Paul Zwiers returned to teaching at Emory University after more than a year facing termination for the use of the word. Oh, they have it in text here. It's in quotes. I'm going to say it. I'll begin at the beginning of the sentence, and you can I don't know block your ears. Uh, after more than a year facing termination for using the word nigger while discussing systemic racism with students, feels quite unlike an academic freedom victory, even though it is. Instead, Zwier's reinstatement reads more like a cautionary tale about the eroding rights of faculty who teach sensitive subjects and the increasing risk they take to do so. Emory announced last week that it would accept the recommendation of its faculty hearing committee, ensuring Zwier retains his tenure at Emory Law where he has taught since 2003 and will be reinstated to teaching duties before the end of the semester. Emory's announcement cited the preeminent importance of academic freedom. That's an important development, though Emory's announcement conspicuously and disappointingly avoids mentioning the fact that Zwier never actually used the word in a derogatory fashion. 
Fire wrote to Emory in January 2019, early in this weird investigation, citing serious academic freedom concerns. The American Association of University Professors on the same issue wrote twice. In Fire's letter, we cited Emory's strong free speech promises and urged it not to depart from its commitments by push, uh, punishing or investigating Zweer for classroom speech germane to his course's subject. Quote, faculty members' academic freedom includes the choice to deploy material or language germane to their teaching that might offend, shock, or anger their students, wrote Fire's, admin, uh, Fire's Adam Steinbaugh, noting that universities can take a, quote, more speech approach and criticize speech they dislike. They cannot, however, censor it. The AAUP expressed similar concerns and urged at minimum that Emory hold a faculty hearing on the matter, which is the process mandated by, quote, AAUP recommended procedural standards, end quote, and which requires the university to show, quote, adequate cause for adverse actions against a tenured professor. But despite Zweer's reinstatement after an apparently fair faculty hearing, the investigation into his protected expression shouldn't have happened in the first place. Once it was clear that his classroom speech was relevant to the matter he was discussing, and didn't come close to approaching discriminatory harassment, Emory should have ended its, uh, Emory should have ended its inquiry. Uh, and while Zweer is now back in the classroom, the, proce the proceeding against him has troublingly become something of an archetype for an increasing number of similar investigations at universities across the country. They then run down a few of those, um, uh, and one in particular regarding, uh, uh, regarding, oh, what is her name? A professor named Sheck, I believe. Um, I'm gonna stop there. That'll the 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 rest. If you want to see their kind of rundown of a couple of similar investigations, you can find that in the show notes. Um, so we've been following that, and it looks like this is the end of that story. Uh, he has his job back, thank God. Um, we can now move on. Right to counsel. Right to confrontation among due process rights afforded to Arizona students under 2018 legislation. This is right. This is written by Joe Cohn, published on the 26th of February, 2020. I clarify 2020 because it is about 2018 legislation. Um, also from the fire. In 2018, Arizona enacted HB 2563. Now, Arizona, uh, Rev stat. I'm not sure what Arizona revised statute, perhaps. I'm not sure what rev would be in the middle of that. Uh, a bill on campus free speech that fire criticized for missing the mark in some key respects. Fire's analysis of the bill focused exclusively on the aspects of the legislation that affected students' free speech rights. We recently revisited the bill's language and found that the final version, while still flawed on free speech grounds, greatly, expa uh, greatly expanded the procedural safeguards guaranteed to students enrolled at public institutions of higher education who are accused of misconduct. So today, we are pleased to belatedly report on the robust procedural protections provided by the statute. The relevant language in the statute reads, uh, quote, In all disciplinary proceedings involving students, including proceedings involving expressive conduct, a student is entitled to a disciplinary hearing under published procedures that include, at minimum, all of the following. A. The right to receive advanced written notice of the allegations. B. The right to review the evidence in support of the allegations. C. The right to confront witnesses who testify against that student. D. The right to present a defense. E. The right to call witnesses. F. A decision by an impartial person or panel. G. The right to appeal. And H. If either a suspension of more than uh, if either suspension of more than 30 days or expulsion is a potential consequence of a disciplinary proceeding under this section, the right to active assistance of counsel. The original text of the bill limited the above rights to only those situations where a student was facing campus discipline for allegedly disrupting a campus event. The final text, however, applies these rights, quote, in all disciplinary proceedings involving students. We have a piece of uh, I, what I think is probably good legislation in Arizona. Again, it's a little shaky on free speech grounds. Uh, the rest of it is, but uh, it is what it is. 
And in one more piece of campus news, we have a uh, uh, from Reason, written by Bobby Sovin, published on the 9th, expelled for a night of drunken sex, $283,000 in debt. A Michigan State University medical student was expelled shortly before graduation, three years after the incident. When he arrived at Harry's house in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at the e- on the evening of April 23rd, 2016, Dev had good reasons to be a tad apprehensive. The occasion was Medball, a yearly prom for students enrolled in the College of Human Medicine at Michigan State University. Dev was one of those students, and he had decided at the last minute to accept an invitation to gather with a small group of acquaintances for drinks before the main event. He knew several of them, Harry the host and two women, Jillian and Valerie, from a service trip to Cuba a few weeks earlier during spring break. Dev had thought he'd detected a certain mutual attraction between himself and Jillian, though nothing came of it. After Cuba, she broke up with a boyfriend and entered into a casual Friends with Benefits arrangement with Harry. Valerie's date for the med ball was Lucas, her soon-to-be ex-husband. All these names have been changed to protect their anonymity, obviously. Because uh, those are not real names. That sounds like a comic book. The night began with beers, wine, and Cuban cigars. It ended with hangovers and regret following a series of alcohol-fueled arguments, dancing some tears, and sexual encounters between several unexpected pairs of people. In other words, it was a night the various participants might well have been happy to forget and move on with their lives, but Dev can never move on from that night. Two years later... Jillian and Valerie told friends and administrators at the events, uh, that the events of Med Ball had left them feeling deeply uncomfortable about Dev and that they didn't want to be in a clinical rotation with him. This raised red flags, and MSU decided to look into the matter. On April 17th, 2018, the university informed Dev that he was being investigated for sexual misconduct. Following an abbreviated and opaque procedure that did not involve a hearing, Dev was found responsible and given an interim suspension. On February 14th, 2019, Dev finally convinced the administration to grant him a hearing, but only to decide whether his suspension should go into effect. MSU ruled that it should, and Dev was removed from surgery rotation with only two weeks of work left. He was thus unable to take his final examinations, though this was the least of his problems. Within a few weeks, MSU formally dismissed Dev from the College of Medicine. Dev subsequently sued MSU for wrongful expulsion. By the time of his expulsion, he had incurred more than $283,000 in debt, as a doctor, he could have paid it back, but at this point, it is vanishingly unlikely that he will ever obtain a degree or practice medicine. I'm done, Dev tells Reason. I dedicated 8 to 12 years of studying uh, for this. That was my life. In 2011, the U.S. Education Department's Office for Civil Rights released a Dear Colleague letter to university. Oh, wow, we're getting background on Dear Colleague? This is a long piece coming from Reason. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna finish that. I will put it in the show notes, but... Uh, I don't like reading all of stories that are this long because uh, I start to drone and then the podcast becomes me droning and that's not fun to listen to. So this is another, this is a, an incident that I think may have even been covered on fire. Uh, Title IX is a problem. Uh, Jake Lindsay, in the future when you get a divorce, all sex will be considered rape, right? That's, that's, that seems to be the issue here is it's regret about a night that everybody was drunk and partying and people had sex and then everybody regrets it in the morning. But regret and rape are not the same things. And when you have somebody who is summarily dismissed and and found to be guilty without a hearing, without any kind of due process, you don't know if anything actually happened. Which is frankly bad for actual victims. It's terrible for actual victims because now, when this kind of thing happens, people... People will, I think, you know, very reasonably, if not, you know, perhaps not rightly, but reasonably, would say something like, uh, I don't know, did it really happen, though? 
Or is this one of these kinds of situations? Did you just regret fucking the dude? Um, this needs to be fixed. <laughs> this needs to be fucking fixed. Um, because real, real people are, are not taken seriously. Real, real victims of, of sexual assault are, are not taken seriously when this kind of thing is allowed to happen ex and exist. This is a story that was shared on the Discord. Um, before the show begins, I, I, I send out, a, and sometimes the, you know, morning of or the day before, I'll put a post up on the, I'll, I'll post into the Discord and I'll say, hey, you know, if you have any stories you want me to cover, uh, drop them here. I didn't see this one uh, the last, before the last show. It was shared by SawU77 into the Discord. And it's, it's on track with things that I want to start talking about a little bit more. Um, Carnival Cruises, Delta in 70 countries use a facial recognition company you've never heard of. This is from 1-0 on Medium. July 2018, the mayor of Irving, Texas signed a contract that would dramatically expand how the city's police department could investigate crimes using facial recognition. The police department agreed to port its mugshot database into the servers of NEC, a 121-year-old technology giant that built the department's facial recognition program. With Irving's, uh, wow, 100,000 mugshots uploaded to an NEC service called WideNet, officers and detectives were now brought, uh, brought into a system that also included mugshots from nearby communities like Grand Prairie and DeSoto and could conduct searches across departments. According to emails obtained by 1-0 through a public records request, the Irving Police Department now uses NEC's facial recognition six to ten times per week on average, though just 21% of those searches result in strong leads. For the police department of Irving, a mid-sized city of 235,000, that sits between Dallas and Fort Worth, NEC was a natural partner. The company advertises itself as the vendor of one of the most accurate facial recognition systems in the world and readily touts its law enforcement bon uh, bona fides. Some would say bona fides. Um, the, 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 where was I? Uh, and... As chance would have it, NEC, America's headquarters, was located just 10 miles down the road from the Irving Police Station. NEC and the Irving Police Department have enjoyed a close relationship. When an Irving Police sergeant wanted talking points to persuade the department that they needed NEC's wide net facial recognition program, he turned to an NEC employee for help, describing its accuracy, writing, quote, I don't know what a good error rate is, and when NEC researchers needed data to train a new secretive algorithm that could detect concealed firearms like AR-15s in schools, the Irving Police Department offered up more than 700 firearms that the department had recently confiscated. Irving Police was unable to comment about its relationship with NEC prior to the deadline for this article. For hundreds of government agencies around the world, NEC has become a gateway into facial recognition technology. In January, London Police inked a deal with NEC to deploy a live facial recognition dragnet across the city. Among dozens of other projects, NEC's facial recognition systems will be used to verify uh, every athlete, organizer, volunteer, and member of the press at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Oh, the company offers agencies free facial recognition trials, according to over 1,000 pages of documents reviewed by 1-0. Municipalities can load mugshots and personal data into NEC software and try it out for a few months. While much of the current debate around facial recognition centers around American tech giants like Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, the more recently, this, uh, more recently, the smaller firm, Clearview AI, that's the one that's getting a lot of headlines, facial recognition companies out uh, of... Facial recognition companies out of the spotlight, such as uh, Edema, Morphotrust, Jamalto, and NEC, continue to sign massive contracts with law enforcement agencies around the world. Over the past 10 years, NEC has quietly emerged as perhaps the world's largest purveyor of the technology. And 
here. Though the company keeps a relatively low profile in the United States, NEC is attempting to influence the U.S. government's facial recognition policy. The company spent more than $600,000 on lobbying related to facial recognition and biometrics bills and appropriations in 2019 alone, according to lobbying records analyzed by 1-0. Benji Hutchinson, vice president for federal operations at NEC America, told 1-0 that NEC has more than 1,000 biometrics deployments for public safety across the public safety across the world, including operations in 20 U.S. states. NEC operates in more than 70 countries with hundreds of biometric contacts that encompass facial recognition, fingerprints, iris scans, and voice recognition. Despite its global ambitions, the company's biometric empire has not been profiled until now, and its expansive facial recognition contracts have never been tallied in one place. This continues. That's only a little bit of this story. This is a massive profile on this company, and I recommend checking it out. Again, this is quite long and extensive and god there's so much information here um so thanks very much saw you 77 for sharing this uh this will be an excellent resource for people in the uh who check out the show notes and look at and look at the rest of this that's that's kind of the news aspect of it at the beginning and the rest of it's a massive massive feature on the uh on the actual company itself uh in similar news published on the 5th of March to protocol.com through apps, not warrants locate X allows federal law enforcement to track phones. U S law enforcement agencies signed millions of dollars worth of contracts with a Virginia company after it rolled out a powerful tool that uses data from popular mobile apps to track the movement of people's cell phones, according to federal contracting records and six people familiar with the software. The product called Locate X and sold by Babel Street allows investigators to draw a digital fence around an address or area, pinpoint mobile devices that were within that area, and see where else those devices have traveled, going back months, the sources told Protocol. They said the tool tracks the location of devices anonymously, using data that popular cell phone apps collect to enable features like mapping or targeted ads, or simply to sell it on to data brokers. Babel Street has kept Locate X a secret not mentioning it in public-facing marketing materials, and stipulating in federal contracts that even the existence of the data is, quote, confidential information. LocateX must be, quote, used for internal research purposes only, according to the terms of use distributed to agencies, and law enforcement authorities are forbidden from using technology as evidence, or mentioning it at all, in legal proceedings. Federal records show that U.S. Customs and Border Protection purchased LocateX, and the Secret Service and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement also use the location tracking technology, according to a former Babel Street employee. Numerous other government agencies have active contracts with Reston-based Babel Street records show, but publicly available contract information does not specify whether other agencies besides CBP have bought LocateX or other products and services offered by the company. None of the federal agencies, including CPB, I'm sorry, CBP, uh, would confirm whether they use the location tracking software when contacted by protocol. Babel Street's other products include an analytics tool that has widely marketed uh, uh, that sifts that it has widely marketed that sifts through streams of social media to chart sentiment about topics and brands. A former government official with LocateX provided an example of how it could be used, referring to the aftermath of a car bombing or kidnapping. Investigators could draw what's known as a geofence around the site, identify mobile devices that were in the vicinity in the days before the attack, and see where else those devices had traveled in the days, weeks, or months heading up to the attack, or where they traveled afterward. Oh, goodness. Again, this is another long feature on this thing. So this kind of tracking has existed. To go through apps is very strange to use. I'm assuming they're using available APIs to do this, though I could be wrong. Um, 
To go through apps to do this is very strange. Kind of how Clearview used Facebook to train their facial recognition algorithm. Um, I find this terrifying, but on the same level, the government's always been able to track your phone. Cell tower triangulation is a thing that's existed since cell towers. So there's really no way to keep your, um, <laughs> dose. Use a social media to identify sentiment. Shocker. That's never happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cell tower triangulations existed forever. Uh, there's no real way. If you're using a cell phone, that's going to work on you and it's relatively accurate. So you can't really get away from being tracked, at least geographically, if you're going to have a cell phone. Uh, the best you can do is try and keep yourself safe from these kinds of attacks. I call them attacks because this is, uh, this is an attack. Um, the best thing you can do is try and keep yourself safe from these kinds of attacks. That means not allowing location data to be shared with your apps. You can use uh, operating systems for that. Various operating systems will allow you to uh, will allow you to basically lie to the app and tell the app that it has access to your location when in truth it doesn't. This is something that I believe um, Lineage OS has. I'm running Lineage OS for MicroG, and you can go into, there are specific settings that you can go into per app and tell them what they're allowed to do. And see your location is one that you can turn off uh, altogether. And the app will ask, can I see your location? And you can say, just deny and don't ask again. And, and Libra hands, uh, not Libra, uh, Lineage handles it for you. This is a... Uh, mm -mm -mm. I think this might be a good time to actually say that I'm probably going to be, at some point this weekend, Friday or Saturday, I'll be doing a show with, uh, with Dose about this kind of stuff and trying to keep safe, trying to keep yourself safe from it and trying to turn yourself into, I mean, look, trying to be a black box isn't really, there's still a lot of vectors that people can use to get data from you, but it's about reducing your footprint, right? I say, I'm, I say that I'm to a certain extent a black box, but the problem is a black box has an outlet. Like the, the things that you interact with, the people around you that you interact with, stuff like that, that's, there's still a silhouette there. And so it's about reducing the size of that silhouette. It's about reducing the size of the footprint that you leave. If not in order to keep yourself safe from government surveillance, which is a big deal, but also in order to keep yourself, uh, to, in order to keep yourself from being a commodity to these fucking companies. Um, they, I mean, this is, they, they, Adam Curry was on a recent episode of Joe Rogan, and he described it this way. He says, these companies are training us to generate data for them to sell. We are working for these companies. You know, don't do that. <laughs> so I'm probably going to be talking with Dose a little bit about how to, uh, how to keep that footprint small and, and different ways that you can go about it. Uh, and... Again, uh, relatively related. This is a recent feature article from, uh, from Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, published on the 10th, written by Elliot Harmon. The Graham Blumenthal bill is an attack on online speech and security. Uh, members of Congress have mounted a major threat to your freedom of speech and privacy online. Senators Lindsey Graham and Richard Blumenthal recently introduced a bill that would undermine key protections for Internet speech in U.S. law. It would also expose providers uh, of the private messaging services we all rely on to serious legal risk, potentially forcing them to undermine their tool's security. 
The so-called Earn It Act is an attack on speech security and innovation. Congress must reject it. The bill deals with the very serious issue of child exploitation online, but it offers no meaningful solution. Think about the children! Uh, Jake Lindsay says, the training portion I get, but why is it a problem to be a commodity if you get a service in exchange? I Google navigation the same time in traffic. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's effectively the exchange you're making. The problem is that... Um, the problem is less about the exchange of data for services, which I, I don't hate that exchange on its face. What I don't like is the fact that as soon as you, the, the things you give away when you agree to a terms of service agreement is if you actually dig into the terms of service, it's horrifying what you're agreeing to. It's not just about them getting your location and utilizing that and et cetera, et cetera. They, they do much more than just sell ads based on data. Effectively, what's happening is there's a, it's a panopticon that's being built. And uh, legislation like what we're learning about now, the, the Earn It Act, or reading about now, rather, I've spoken about it before on the show. What we're reading about now, the Earn It Act, legislation like this turns these companies and Things like the FISA courts, where they can just get a warrant for shit without having to go through proper channels. It turns this panopticon of, of, of uh, surveillance capitalism, it turns this panopticon into a government system. And so not only is it an exchange of data for services, which is, again, not necessarily a bad exchange on its face. The problem is when it's when it's when it's interlaced with all of these other issues, with all of the other things that are that are happening uh, with regard to government in particular. But also, I mean, they make a shitload of money on it. And there's some people I don't I don't know if I'm if I consider myself among them, but there are some people who don't like making these big ass companies more money uh, so they can be tracked. There's something about that pretty nuts, but I think it's a value assessment. It is a value assessment. There's some people who, there's some people who, uh, who value, um, there's some people who are skeeved out by the transaction. And I personally, I don't think I'm all that skeeved out by the transaction. Again, I think that, I think the data for services transaction is probably fine just on principle, but it's what happens once the data has been collected and collated. And once people who I don't have control of have access to it is when it becomes a problem for me. If it were just Google selling ads based on my data, that'd be fine. But it's not just that. There's, there's much, much more to it, and, and more people have access to this than, than anybody realizes. That's, that's really where the problem comes in. Though I do, I do, again, I do agree with your initial point that, that the, the data for services exchange is not necessarily a bad exchange on its face. I absolutely agree with that. Um... Uh, back to the story. The, the Earn It Act would create a National Commission on Online Child Sexual Exploitation Prevention tasked with developing, quote, best practices for owners of Internet platforms to, quote, prevent, reduce and respond to child exploitation online. But far from mere recommendations, those best practices would essentially become legal requirements. If a platform failed to adhere to them, it would lose essential legal protections for free speech. Once the commission completed its recommendations, the attorney general, the secretary of Homeland Security and then the uh, chair of the Federal Trade Commission would approve or veto the best practices. If they all agreed, then Congress would have an extremely short timeline to debate the best practices and write them into law uh, without amendments. The Earn It Act would censor innocent people. The Graham Blumenthal Bill undermines Section 230, the most important law protecting free speech online. Section 230, which nobody on Twitter understands, 
if you go through bad legal takes, you just see all the all the uh, all the Section Two Thirty takes that don't actually track with the law. Uh, Section Two Thirty enforces the common sense principle that if you say something illegal online, you should be the one held responsible, not the website or platform where you said it. Section Two Thirty has played a critical role uh, in the development of modern of the modern internet. Uh, thanks to Section Two Thirty, online platforms can allow users to share their thoughts without fear that something they say could cost them millions of dollars or even jail time. Uh, in weakening Section 230, Congress asks, uh, Congress risks forcing platforms to kick innocent people off the internet entirely, as has already happened with the disastrous consequences of SESTA and FOSTA. When platforms are forced to become more restrictive in what they allow on their sites, marginalized users are disproportionately silenced. Uh, let's skip down to the Earnit Act would undermine our security. Make no mistake, the Earnit Act is a vehicle to undermine end-to-end -end encryption. Attorney General William Barr has repeatedly blamed encryption for sexual crimes against children. He's far from the only one. Barr joins a long history of government officials from both parties demanding that encryption providers compromise their users' security. Under the Earn It Act, the commission would have 19 members, three of which are the Attorney General, the Secretary of Homeland Security, and the Chair of the Federal Trade Commission. The best practices would pass first-round voting if 14 of the 19 commissioners, including the agency heads, approve them. After that vote, the three agency heads would then have the power to unanimously approve best practices by a vote, uh, for a vote by Congress uh, or reject them. The bill includes language claiming the bill won't be used to require a provider to search, screen, or scan for unlawful material, but that's a mere fig leaf. It would be trivially easy for the commissioner to present best practices that don't explicitly require scanning, but that are only implementable by scanning or not offering private messaging at all. Uh, there is more information. Uh, but farther down in the story, the Earn It Act doesn't support children. As we mentioned, we wrote about the prior version of Earn It. Section 230 does not exempt online intermediaries from liability for violation of federal criminal law. If a platform knowingly distributes child exploitation imagery, then the Department of Justice can and must enforce the law. What's more, if an internet company finds sexual abuse material on its platform, the law requires it to provide that information to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and to cooperate with law enforcement investigations. EFF and a coalition of organizations uh, recently sent a letter calling on Congress to, disregard, uh, to discard the Earn It Act and instead focus on measures that would provide support for those working to help children. Um, so yeah, this is another one of those, this is, a, this is a reason that, and I've said this on previous shows when we talked about previous versions of this bill, um, learn how to roll your own. You gotta learn how to roll your own. Uh, you can roll your own encrypted email, you can roll your own peer-to-peer uh, uh, -peer systems, we're, we're, we're going to have to learn how to roll our own. I'm, I'm actually thinking about getting some, some parts, maybe a couple secondhand parts and a, and a Zen three chip and, and building a server for my house so I can run, uh, so I can have my own email server, my own encrypted email server and the media server and all this other stuff that I think, uh, I'm, we're going to need to roll our own. Those of us who are interested in, in, in privacy and, uh, and, these kinds of things. We can roll our own VPNs. All that, all the technology's there. There's a barrier to entry, and that's knowledge, and in some cases, money. Like with a VPN, you don't want your VPN to serve through the server that you have in your home. Then the VPN is the exit node, and your home is where it tracks to. <sighs> it's, it's upsetting. Exercise size. <laughs> I'm just glad the Exercise uh, still no official lineage micro G build for. The OnePlus 7. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. I, I, I think the um, lineage has been very slow to develop. There might be an E build for it. Uh, I don't know if you want to use E. 
I'm, I've been thinking about switching over to E. I need to sort of start fresh anyway. There might be an E build for the OnePlus 7. I'm not sure. Um, let's move on. Holy shit. It's been 45 minutes of podcasting. Man, this is what happens every single time. Every single time that I miss, there's such a backlog of stories. Uh, but from here, let's, uh, let's, let's just say it's, uh, it's time. It's time, it's time, and you know what time it is. Reddit's world in fun. It's time for Who Do You Trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? I'll tell you who I trust. I trust Superior, executive producers Xerce, saw you 77. I trust producers Max Ogburn, Absurdus Fool, and Whoa Dude. It's so nice, so, so nice to see your names there every, every single week that I do the show. And I shouldn't have to miss shows like I had to last week. I shouldn't have to do that anymore. Uh, Xerce says E is on Android Pie. Um, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, yes. I shouldn't have to miss shows like that uh, uh, too much. Uh, that, that I missed because I had a massive project that I had to write for, and it, there was just a lot of stuff involved, a lot of research and things like that, and I just needed the time. Um, so that shouldn't be too common moving forward, especially since I'm going to have more free time uh, in the coming weeks because, again, the, this week the school said we're moving to, uh, to online stuff. So. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Dose, my grandmother said you'll have to shut up. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Ah, yes. Uh, our, our wonderful, wonderful producers, superior executive producers, XRC and Soyu 77 producers, Max Ogburn, sort of fool and whoa, dude. Thank you all so much. And again, I will be turning on the, uh, the, the subscribe star I missed this week. So I didn't turn it on this week. I'll turn it on next week. I'll just send out the email this weekend probably. And, and get that turned back on. Um, let's, uh, let's, you know, since I missed last week, let's, let's do it again. Superior executive producers, Xerce, saw you 77 and producers, Max Ogburn, Sirtis Fool and Woe Dude. Thank you all so much for being there each and every week. You are all wolves amongst ravens, gods amongst men. Wonderful, wonderful bright spots of light on this terrible and dank and dirty place that we call. And uh, I forgot to mention, if you'd like to join those beautiful, imp- incredible people, you can do that through Alternative Internet Radio, A-I-R-A-D dot I-O, or from the Rogue File, roguefile.com. Uh, very different ways to uh, donate there, and if you can't, tell a friend. Can't or don't want to, totally up to you. I appreciate uh, every single one of the people on Subscribestar, and I appreciate everybody who does anything for the show. So tell a friend, join the Discord, hang out with us, join the community, hit me up on Twitter. XC says, uh, that's a uh, chat's real active tonight. I'd love to see it. I love to see it too. Um, I really do. Uh, let's do a coronavirus update real quick. Thanks again to those wonderful producers. I, I, I forgot to say how you could join them, so now I'm, I'm throwing a bit. Oh, yes. So let's refresh this page real quick and let's look at the U.S. And it looks like we have 36 deaths, eight individuals recovered and 1,281 confirmed cases. 
that confirmed cases numbers includes the deaths and the recoveries. So it's the, the total number of active cases are is twelve eighty one minus thirty six plus eight. So all of those are uh, are uh, man. I heard somebody uh, there was a, a an epidemiologist I heard the other day who said that this is just starting. It does no good to panic, but also this this is probably going to get worse, which is it's probably true. But again, keep in mind what I said at the beginning of the show. Panicking is a bad thing. The WHO, though, today, and this is what's really interesting news. I haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. The, the idea that there's a thing that exists I actually might have talked about this. In fact, I think I did. Let me double check real quick. Let me look at the uh, show notes and see if I talked about pandemic bonds. Uh, let's look at show notes. It doesn't look like I've talked about them. Um, I think I mentioned them, though. Let's, let's just do a quick uh, once-over of what the pandemic bond is. Let's look at, from Business Insider, this was published on the 11th today, an inside look at the debate around pandemic bonds, which have $425 million hinging on how deadly the coronavirus ends up being. A group of unique bondholders will either reap massive profits or lose hundreds of millions of dollars as the coronavirus outbreak escalates. So-called pandemic bonds were first introduced by the World Bank in 2017 as a response to the Ebola virus. Investors holding the bonds enjoy higher than average interest rates, it's fucking huge, but stand to lose their cash in the event of a pandemic. If, re- if certain criteria are met, their bonds principle is transferred to the World Bank's pandemic emergency financing facility to fund... Uh, containment and relief efforts, quote, we're leveraging our capital market expertise, our deep understanding of the health sector, our experience overcoming development challenges, and our strong relationships with donors and insurance and the insurance industry to serve the world's poorest people. Uh, Jim Young Kim, World Bank Group's president, said in a 2017 statement, adding that the PEF can potentially save millions of lives. The bank issued two tranches of pandemic-linked bonds and derivatives collectively worth $425 million dollars in 2017. Bondholders enjoyed more than two years of strong returns and little to worry about as few outbreaks came close to triggering the bond's total default. But the stability of the investment has suddenly been thrown into question as the deadly coronavirus spreads globally. The two tranches of pandemic bonds represent different risks of contagion. The World Bank offered $225 million worth of Class A debt, uh, which pay out at 6.9% annually. The bonds default if pandemic-related deaths reach 2,500 in a single nation with an additional 20 or more deaths confirmed in an overseas country, according to the bank's prospectus. Uh, prospectus I'm sorry. The Class B bonds have a lower bar for the debt to trigger and accordingly boast a higher interest rate since holders are assuming more risk. The bonds pay 11.5% annually, but reach default after 250 deaths. The bonds payout rate scales with the number of additional countries that experience more than 20 confirmed deaths. The World Bank issued $95 million worth of the Class B assets. The coronavirus outbreak has so, has so far killed more than 1,370 people and infected more than 60,000, surpassing SARS and lethality early the, earlier this month. Still, Singapore, Thailand, Japan, and Korea are the only nations currently hosting more than 20 infected individuals. Uh, this is not true, I don't think. This thing says it was published seven hours ago. Is it being actively updated? Uh, because I don't think that's right. While the World Bank touts the debt as an efficient way to connect financial markets with epidemic relief, uh, others have found their doubts that the bonds help ailing nations at all. The asset's lengthy prospectus hides numerous requirements 
that gum up any effort to release funds when they're most needed. According to Olga Jones, senior fellow at the Harvard School of Public Health and former World Bank economist, funds can only be released from the PEF for non-flu academics 12 weeks after the, quote, start of the event, according to a World Bank document. The novel coronavirus strains were first reported in late December, leaving funds locked up until late March. Even once the deadline is met, the outbreak has to cause at least 20 deaths in two or more countries to trigger the bonds. While China reached the uh, fatality threshold, threshold weeks ago, no other nation is close, leaving the PEF frozen while the virus continues to spread. The advertising was that there would be early, rapid, predictable, transparent financing available for outbreaks so that they don't become pandemics, Jonas told Business Insider in an interview. In order for that to happen, you have to have early triggers. The triggers in the design are very late. Um, this is important. I do think that their numbers are bad. I think they may have pasted information from an earlier MSN uh, uh, Business Insider story because those numbers that they quoted are not right. But the, the concept of the bonds is correct. The, these things do exist. And people were wondering if they were going to end up paying out. There was a possibility that uh, they were going to wait on uh, an actual pandemic alert from the WHO. There was all kinds of theory crafting about it. Well, the WHO issued a pandemic alert. The WHO has declared uh, COVID-19 a, uh, a pandemic. So that plus the numbers having been met for these bonds means that they should pay out. This means that $425 million is going to investors are going to lose $425 million of value and, uh, well, plus all the interest that's been gained and they are going to transfer all that money will be transferred to the world bank, which could be a massive windfall for the world bank. Actually, that's something to keep an eye on. So I've been telling people, uh, to, to keep an eye on these bonds and to look for news about these bonds, because there's a lot of money here with a lot of very big investors and the world bank is very involved in it. And uh, so there might be some jiggery pokery happening <laughs> with regard to the way these things are going to pay out and uh, things of this nature. There are way more stories that I have pulled up than I can cover before we hit an hour. It's not like there's a hard limit, but nobody likes to listen to me read news stories for more than a So let's go to uh, let's do one more story and there will be a couple more uh, in the show notes. The ones I'm going to be skipping are. Uh, uh, former acting inspector general for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security indicted on theft of government property and scheme to defraud the United States government. That's very interesting. That's straight from the Department of Justice. Uh, that'll be in the show notes, as will a, uh, an article about the current uh, health law from Louisiana that's being argued about in the Supreme Court. I listened to the oral arguments <clears throat> for this case, and they were very interesting. Uh, I'll also be listening to the oral arguments for um, the upcoming case that we talked about on an earlier show with regard to whether getting shot by the police violates uh, uh, your Fourth Amendment protection from unlawful search and seizure. Hint, it absolutely should. Uh, and based on past precedent, absolutely does. So we'll be talking about those oral arguments uh, after they happen. I'd like to clip them out and actually play some for you on the show and build you a whole package for that. I do want to say, if you're interested in listening to oral arguments from the U.S. Supreme Court, there's a podcast feed uh, that has all of them going back a ways. Uh, 
the oral arguments for uh for the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court oral arguments. O y e z is the podcast feed. O y e z. You can find that uh on probably any podcast app. I definitely recommend it. And the the recent oral arguments for this case out of Louisiana and it being argued at the Supreme Court is June Medical Services LLC v Russo. Fascinating, fascinating thing to listen to. Let's do this one more story. Let's do this one. Uh, there's a oh boy. She said he said she said he said he saw demons. Then he had to give up his guns. This was published on the fifth, written by Jacob Sullivan. A bizarre Florida red flag case shows the importance of safeguards to protect people's Second Amendment rights. The allegations against Kevin Morgan were alarming. They described just the sort of circumstances that Florida legislatures had in mind when they approved the state's red flag law in 2018. Three weeks. Uh, I lost my place. Three weeks after the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Park. Morgan's estranged wife, Joni, claimed he was depressed, suicidal, and obsessed with the apocalypse, which he, which he thought was imminent. How did I get hiccups? I haven't drank anything. I haven't eaten anything. How do I keep getting hiccups? This has been happening for days. I keep getting hiccups. It is the most frustrating thing. My hiccups hurt. My hiccups hurt in my ribs when they happen. My lungs hurt when I hiccup. It's always been this way since I was a child, and I keep getting hiccups. It is aggravating. Ah, it, it is physical pain I'm experiencing. Ah, fuck me. I'm sorry to our Christian affiliates. She said he was stockpiling food, gold, guns, and ammunition in anticipation of the end times, that he talked about seeing, hearing, and wrestling with demons, and that he had performed a ritual that involved rubbing, quote, oils on their children and the walls of their house. She reported that he was abusing the drugs he had been prescribed for chronic pain, had talked about dismembering his former wife, and uh, had an intimated he would do the same to her if she ever disrespected him, and had threatened to kill her with uh, a paralytic agent used during surgery and intubation. In the str- on the strength of such claims, Joni Morgan obtained a temporary domestic violence protection injunction. Uh... <laughs> Ixie. Oh, that's a real thing. One of my friends tried to get us to do that when I was in high school. As a dumb thing people really believe. As in a dumb thing people really believe. Um, oils? The oils thing? Is that what you're referring to? I'm sorry, there's a delay that I have so that the stream stays high quality. So I'm not really sure what thing you're referring to. Probably the oils thing, though. Rubbing oils on things? Yeah, he says the oils. Um, on, uh, on the strength of such claims, Joni Morgan obtained a temporary domestic violence protection injunction and involuntary psychiatric evaluation order under the Florida Mental Health Act, aka the Baker Act, and a temporary risk protection order under the Red Flag Law, which authorizes the suspension of a person's Second Amendment rights when he is deemed a threat to himself or others. All three were ex parte orders, meaning they were issued without giving Kevin Morgan a chance to rebut the allegations against him. That is a violation of due process, uh, in my mind anyway. But when it was time for a judge to decide whether the initial gun confiscation, uh, gun confiscation order, which was limited to 14 days, should be extended for a year, Morgan got a hearing and a lurid picture painted by his wife disintegrated. By the end of the hearing, in an extraordinary turn of events, unlike anything you are likely to see in a courtroom drama, the lawyer representing the Citrus County Sheriff's Office which was seeking the final order, conceded that he had not met the law's evidentiary standard, and the judge agreed. The bizarre case vividly illustrates why legal representation and meaningful judicial review are necessary to protect gun owners from unsubstantiated complaints under red flag laws, which 17 states in the District of Columbia have enacted. But it also shows that police and prosecutors, who in Florida are the only parties authorized to file red flag petitions, are not necessarily diligent about investigating allegations by people who may 
have an axe to grind. That problem is especially serious in the states that allow petitions by broad categories of individuals whose accounts may be colored by personal animus, including current or former spouses, lovers, and housemates, as well as in-laws and closer distant blood relatives. Without adequate safeguards, respondents can lose their constitutional rights based on little more than an, aggr- than an aggrieved individual's unverified assertions. Circuit Judge Peter Brigham issued the ex parte risk protection order against Morgan on September 18, 2018, six months after Florida's red flag law took effect. In response to a petition by Rachel Montgomery, a a detective with the Citrus County Sheriff's Office, it was the first time the Sheriff's Office had used the law. In the affidavit supporting her petition, Montgomery said she responded to a complaint from Joni Morgan, alleging that her husband had violated the temporary domestic violence protection injunction by returning to the house in Citrus Springs they they used to share and retrieving clothing, medications, several firearms, and his Ford Mustang. Montgomery paraphrased the claims Joni Morgan had made in her petitions for the injunction in the Baker Act examination that, quote, the respondent has had a decline in mental stability over the past four months and has, quote, displayed erratic behaviors uh, to include making threats to uh, dismember a former paramour and threats to kill his entire family while yielding a vial containing containing a paralytic agent. She added that the respondent has purchased several firearms and ammunition during this time period. At this point, Montgomery later testified that she had done no investigation beyond talking to Joni Morgan and reading her petitions. Montgomery said she'd subsequently discovered there was no basis for the claim that Kevin Morgan had violated the injunction by visiting the house. Quote, I determined that it wasn't him that had gone to the house, she said. It was actually a pool maintenance worker that had been by the house. Furthermore, quote, the firearms had been transferred prior to his risk protection order in response to the domestic violence injunction, meaning there were no guns for Morgan to retrieve from the house. Um... I am going to, again, this is a much longer feature than I should read on the show. And I am going to put this, uh, put this in the show notes as well, so you can finish up this feature. Uh, this, this kind of thing, I, I like to pull these red flag stories because this is exactly what people said was going to happen. People who are mad at people are going to say, go take his guns. I don't like him. And this has happened multiple times. I've covered, I think, no fewer than two of the same instance, like of an instance very similar to this happening in the past uh, on on recent shows. Those will be in the show notes as well. Um, Not this episode, though. They'll be in previous episode show notes. Oh, boy. Red flag orders. That's where we're ending the show, really? We're ending the show on red flag orders? We have to. I mean, we are. Jake Lindsay in the uh, in the chat. Why are people bananas? Even if my wife and I broke up, I can't imagine either of us saying this sort of thing. Right, right. It's, well, I mean, people are driven to do ridiculous things by anger and hurt. It's pain. People are in pain. But it drives them to do ridiculous things. And this is something that these laws encourages. It doesn't just, it doesn't just provide a place that they can be ridiculous. It encourages this kind of ridiculous behavior. Um, I understand people being pain and wanting to hurt the other person. I get it. Everyone, everybody gets that. That's exactly why these kinds of laws shouldn't exist. Because the potential for abuse is just... It's just too astronomical. And the fact that they're ex parte orders is a... Oh, someone needs to be sued. That needs... The, the, the Supreme Court needs to determine that that is a, a violation of due process. Stealing, stealing property without, uh, without due process is... That's not cool. Not cool is the only way that I could describe it, I guess. Oh, goodness. So, yeah. I think that's where... I think that's where we're... Uh, oh. Here, I'll, uh, I'll give you guys uh, this guy. How dare you! Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And remember, in the, in the, wake, of, uh, in the wake of COVID-19, 
fuck television news. I want to thank everybody who hung out in the chat and kept me on my toes during this recording. You can do that every week. A-I-R-A-D dot I-O slash live. I want to thank everybody who listens to the show, everybody who downloads the show, everybody who rates us and gives us a review on whatever platform you listen on. I want to thank the producers, all you glorious and magnanimous people who support this show. You can do that on AIRAD.io or on the Rogue File, roguefile.com slash donate. Uh, you can find the things that I write on the Rogue File, roguefile.com. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at Dean O Files. You can find the network on Twitter at AltNet Radio. Go ahead and give us a follow there. I love every single one of you glorious freaks, and I will be back with you next week. Y'all have a great week. This has been an alternative internet radio production. For more great shows like this, visit AIR at AIRAD.io. That's AIRAD.io. COVID-19.